Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 30, the 2013 Holiday Gift Guide. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are the editors of BookRiot.com. Jeff- we're, we're actually not talking about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading this week. No, we're this talking is just about books. books. Books that are cool and worth talking about, and some of them are new. I'm excited. Me too. Um, so we're just going to geek he, for an hour. Here's the deal. So we asked for people to send us um, questions about people they wanted to buy books for in their life, and they did. They done. They did it. And they we got done, a bunch. Done, and um, we're both going to have picks for things that we have picks for. Some of them I don't have a pick for because ain't my thing. And a couple of things Rebecca doesn't have a pick for because it ain't her thing. Um, have you read all the books that you picked? I'm going to admit that there's a couple on here I uh, haven't oh, read. I, I think I have. I will disclose if I have Yeah, not. I will too if I, if I remember it. They do blur together, I have to admit. Sometimes I haven't read something I thought I had and vice versa. So I apologize for my voice. I'm coming out, I'm coming off, out of a cold. So, uh, you know, not my for- normal uh, mellifluous self. Um, Thanks for hanging with us. I know. I, I couldn't be left out. You were going to get Liberty or someone to take my spot. And if she ever got this chair, I'm not sure I'd ever get it back. So uh, be, We'd be the Thelma and Louise of book <laughs> yeah, podcasting. That's right. It's just me and <laughs> me left back at the hotel room. Um, so we should tell the people that this uh, this episode is sponsored by Random House and their Tumblr holiday gift guides. Now, this is uh, a gift guide. Boy. Yeah, this is uh, talk about comprehensive. Uh, you can visit randomhouse.tumblr.com and up on the right hand corner, there's a place to search. You search for holiday 2013 and starting uh, November 22nd, which will be before you are listening to this show. That's right. Uh, and running through the 29th, you know, just in time for Black Friday and Thanksgiving shopping uh, shenanigans, you'll get two dozen lists um, that are a combination of Penguin and Random House titles, both new and classic books. Uh, that they recommend for different kinds of readers. Uh, so that's randomhouse.tumblr.com and you search for holiday 2013. Uh, these lists aren't available yet on the night that we are recording the show, um, but I'm looking at their lists from last year and there's a little bit of everything. They're great. They have, They're really um, useful. They have gifts for animal lovers, chapter books for kids ages seven to 10, the best holiday picks for kids overall, gifts for teens, uh, books specifically for Judy Bloom fans. Uh, Which we like you, to call all thinking humans. Yeah, so right. if you if you uh, want to send me something, you can buy me some of these books <laughs> for, for Judy Bloom bands. Right. I will take them. Uh, new Christmas stories, stocking stuffers, and so I expect that on the uh, the list of two dozen uh, different gift guides that Random House rolls out uh, over the next couple of weeks uh, between the twenty second and the 29th of November, and that will be available through the whole holiday season. Yeah, um, check those out and do holiday twenty twelve and twenty thirteen because there's gonna be different books for each thing and yeah, they're not there's just so new much books. good stuff there. A lot of good books. They've got they're gonna have some flow charts to help you pick from one thing to the next. Um something that you and I are not particularly good at is like kids' books you know, at all really. Um if you have a kid that's two and a half or younger, I can help you, but anything older than that, 
up to about 15, uh, I think Rebecca and I are a dry well for that. And so right. the list unless of, you have like a very mature for their age, yeah, very right. depressed literary We'll have to talk about sometimes what you and I were reading when we were 13, because I'm guessing it wasn't, uh, it wasn't. I read the Oprah list. Oh, that's right. We've talked about this before. Yeah. I read Portnoy's Complaint when I was a 13 and um, there's, <laughs> oh, no go, there's no going back there. <laughs> that explains uh, a lot. So anyway, so that's randomhouse.tumblr.com. Search for holiday 2013 and holiday 2012 because those are still good. You don't, Double don't, the fun. They don't expire. So a um, bunch of lists, um, easy to browse, looks great. It's a great looking Tumblr site and easy to browse like all good Tumblr sites are. Really, all t- it's hard to make a Tumblr site that's hard to browse. So that's one great thing about Tumblr. Yeah, these are pretty great. And uh, as we move into our listener questions, we heard from lots of you we did. Uh, with people you were stumped on shopping for for the holidays. Uh, just want to uh, let you know, since Random House sponsored the show, their Tumblr is Random House and Penguin Picks, but we've picked books from all oh, kinds of publishers, right, yep. new books, old books, uh, all sorts of uh, variety, just to keep it all clear there. You know, I wasn't even thinking about that in making my picks. It didn't even occur to me. So I guess that's a good sign. Yeah, at this point, I don't even, I can't even keep it straight beyond like release dates when a thing is new, who did what. Uh, So should we we do the first one? Yeah, I want to say one thing. So um, if you're listening to this, uh, which you are, because otherwise you wouldn't have just heard that. Anyway, um, and you think you've got a pick for one of these questions, um, you know, shoot us an email podcast at bookwrite.com. Um, or comment on the post on the page for the the show when it goes up with all the show notes, um, and we'll we'll do a wrap up or we'll add things to it because you know there's nothing better than a whole bunch of really smart and fun readers giving picks. Um, you you probably will be able to pick some stuff that's better than what we have. So um, do let us know. These aren't um, authoritative. These are or exhaustive by w- any wildly means. idiosyncratic. <laughs> they might be great. But wildly idiosyncratic. We're just the um, nerdiest of book elves here. Okay. Should we read the whole... I want like a super book nerd elf costume. Seriously. And I I don't even know what that would be, but uh, we definitely would need one of those. Should we read the whole question or just what what should we do here? Yeah, let's read the question. Yeah. Okay. I'll read the first one. Hello, Rebecca and Jeff. Uh, I hope this isn't coming in too late. This just came in today. I just went checking the email. I was wondering what books I should get my mom for Christmas. She is a huge fan of Bill Bryson, Simon Winchester, Jared Diamond et al. She and my stepdad like to read these books aloud to each other of an evening while the other person knits or sometimes dozes. Oh, my gosh. I love yes, these people. Yes, it is as adorable as it sounds. Uh, and no, I'm not crying right now though it might sound like it. Uh, I've considered Mary Roach, but I'm not sure if the sometimes graphic science stuff would be her cup of tea. What absorbing writers and fascinating topics should I introduce her to this holiday season? Thanks so much. That's Mary in Montpellier, Vermont. Well, Mary, first of all, Rebecca and I would like to be adopted by her parents. Is that possible? Or maybe they could write like a guide for how to grow up and be those people. That's right. Um, That's the, I, this is my new dream. I'm going to take your letter and tuck it into a special place for the especially hard days and think about what life can be. Um, but enough about how great your parents are. Let's get them something to read. Rebecca, you want to go first? So yes, you want to so, comment on this Mary Roach trepidation? I'm going to comment on the Mary Roach trepidation. I understand uh, the Mary Roach trepidation. If you're if you're shopping for somebody who, uh, like Mary Margaret's mom, might not be into graphic science stuff, because some Mary Mary Roach is pretty is pretty sciency, and Mary Roach loves gross. Uh, the, her very first book is Stiff, and it's about what happens to your body, what can happen to your body after you donate it to science. So it's it's gruesome, and I thought it was totally fascinating because I like gross stuff like. 
that. Um, but Mary Roach is just a ton of fun to read, and her uh, the voice that she writes in is very conversational. She's occasionally silly. She has great footnotes. Nobody does footnotes in uh, nonfiction better than Mary Roach does. So I was uh, I'm going to go against your uh, question here, Mary Margaret, and say you should try Mary Roach, but you should start your mom with packing for Mars, uh, which is Mary Roach's book about space travel. There is a little uh, gross science stuff. There's like a whole chapter about um, how you poop in space. Uh, so if if something like that uh, is still a little bit too graphic, um, maybe stay away from Mary Roach. But I thought Packing for Mars was um, one of the funniest ones that she's done and more accessible. Uh, the newest one, Gulp, is all about the digestive system, and it is predictably uh, packed with trivia that is not appropriate for dinner table conversation. But I think Packing for Mars would be a good fit. Um, if you want to go for just, you know, weird, fun nonfiction, man, most of the nonfiction I read is kind of gross in some way i'm realizing <laughs> <laughs> now but i really really love charlatan by pope brock mm. which um is a, a a biography slash like single subject narrative nonfiction about this great huckster in the 1920s who um, invented a surgery where he would put goat testicles into human men uh, claiming that it would make them more virile and of course like most of them got infections or they died uh, this guy was also involved in early radio and radio advertisements and he sort of he moved all over the midwest like trying to escape from people who were after him for uh, for pulling one over on them sort of a classic snake oil salesman mm story and Pope Brock did a really exhaustive study on this man's life um, on you know exactly what he thought he was getting away with and how he managed to to do it it's just so bizarre like the the whole time you're like I cannot believe this is a real person uh, and so if you're if your parents are enjoying nonfiction that they're reading to each other and want something that will keep them laughing and a little bit astonished at the things that we humans are willing to uh, just willing to try to get away with this one took uh, guts uh, i really enjoyed that that's charlatan by pope brock um i'm going to second packing for mars by mary roach yeah. there um <clears throat> both michelle and i read it and found it fascinating um i'm going to recommend i'm not sure which of the sarah vowel might be best for your parents sarah vowel is the author um, and maybe if you want to take a look at her catalog and see, read the descriptions of some of her books and see which one sounds like they, they might like it the best. You know them better than we do. Um, Sarah Vile, a contributor to This American Life, um, has a great, literally has a great voice, a speaking voice, but also a tremendous writerly voice, quirky, fun, smart, insightful, awkward, ironic um, and she's a big fan of the weird nooks of American history. Her most recent one is called Unfamiliar Fishes, and it's the unlikely story of the colonization of Hawaii, um, which is fascinating and weird and bizarre and um, surprising. Um, the other two that are the most famous ones, well, I guess the second most famous one would be the Wordy Shipmates, Shinsky, do you think? The, the Wordy Shipmates is my favorite. That's your Sarah. favorite, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I love, um, all of my weirdness is going to come out on this show. Uh, <laughs> I love Puritan history. Oh, you, that's right. You like cults and religious stuff. I do. Yeah. This morning, Spotify recommended something to me by Jonathan Edwards, and for like a split second, I thought I was going to get to listen to that Sinners in the, the Hands of, of an Angry God. spiders on a web with a sword over our I, I remember like, that. so stoked, and then it turned out that <laughs> this Jonathan Edwards 
is like an indie, you know, singer songwriter. Uh, so the wordy shipmates is about the founding of the country. Um, but it's sort of that other side of the founding of the country that we don't get to hear, you know, in your history classes in high school and college, you probably heard about, uh, the city on the hill and the mission that the Puritans came uh, to America with. But this is like all the dirty gossip and the nasty letters that these Puritan pastors wrote to each other as they were founding cities and um, trying to decide like in which way Americans should have, or at that point colonists should have religious freedom and who should get to be in charge and uh, like the jabs that they throw at each other in these Mm -hmm. letters in old school Puritan language that then Sarah Vowell comments upon are so (laughs) great. Yeah, she really Uh, focuses on the words and the language and phraseology. It's and that uses that sort of as a lens to as to look at the whole era. It's really interesting. It is. And if your parents are reading these books out loud Mm -hmm. to each other, maybe your parents want to try audiobooks. Do they do voices? I wonder if Margaret's parents, Mary Margaret's parents, do voices. Oh. I don't know. They might like audio because she's they great might on audio. Like, yeah, the, if they would like audiobooks, so they can both, you know, nap or doze mm. or work on uh, a puzzle or whatever it is that they're you know. doing in the evenings when they're not the one who's reading. Sarah Vowell reads her audiobooks. She has a very recognizable, quirky Extremely voice, so. and uh, once you hear it, then you get the pleasure of hearing uh, her voice in your head whenever you do. Um, Whenever you read her in print, yeah, uh, those those are great. Those are great, and she has a couple of collections of essays, um, some of which grew out of her piece on this American life. Um, the best one of those, in my estimation, or the one I like the best, is Assassination Vacation, mm-hmm. where she takes a road trip across America and visits um, historical sites where you know there was some sort of political assassination. Um, it talks about her experience there, but also what happened and trying to think through all these different kinds of things. So, you know, take a look at that. But um, we both recommend Unfamiliar Fishes and the Wordy Shipmates. I think I'm inverse to you. I think I like the Hawaii one better. But you know what? The, okay, we said it was idiosyncratic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> if we come down that close, that's pretty good. Okay. And I've got one that I think is a little bit more mainstream okay, and yeah. safe. Harry Truman's <clears throat> Excellent Adventure, The True Story of a Great American Road Trip by Matthew Algio. I have to confess, this is one that I haven't read. Uh, it was hand sold to me by a great bookseller at Rainy Day Books in Kansas City last year when I was like, hey, I'm on this nonfiction binge. What should I read that I haven't heard of yet? And so it's sitting on my pile. Uh, but here's the short pitch. On June 19th, 1953, Harry Truman got up early packed the trunk of his Chrysler and did something no other former president has done before or since. He hit the road. No secret service, no traveling press, just Harry and his childhood sweetheart Bess off to visit friends, see a play on Broadway, celebrate their wedding anniversary in New York, and blow a bit of the money he had just received to write his memoirs, hopefully while staying incognito. Wow. So a little bit of, you know, Harry Truman, some presidential history. He manages to go off the grid and take a sweetheart. It's, it's just lovely. Oh, um, this is a rat hole. And I can see what we're going to, what's going to happen already. Cause I got another spontaneous pick based on your spontaneous pick. <laughs> so should we just go? Yeah, let me do one more. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll rein it in if we're getting to, to hour three of this. Um, Travels with Charlie. A similar oh, yeah, story, yeah. Um, John Steinbeck in 1960 did v- something very similar to what sounds like what Truman did, maybe around the same time. Um, he took his French standard poodle, Charlie, um, put him in his uh, truck, I think it was a truck if I remember right, and drove across America um, to see it on a personal level. Um, you know, he'd been writing about California, knew it pretty well, but there was a lot of it he hadn't seen. Oh, yeah, sorry, it was a camper, and it was a camper, and he named it after... Um, 
the the Don Quixote's horse in Don Quixote, and the horse's name was Rosinante. Rosinante. Rosinante is the name of the horse. Um, so, and it's you know it's great. It's very readable. It would be great to read out loud. Steinbeck, you know, was a great writer, um, but it's very conducive to reading. Also, in pieces, a nice thing about re- books you read aloud, it's like to have pieces where you can end in, in um, sort of discrete units that aren't too long. Um, so that's that's pretty great. Those two. Um, I want to read that Truman book. Actually, you know what? I want to see a movie based on that. That's what I just decided. Yeah, that would be good. All right. This next one is all you. Okay. So this question is from Joe in Chapel Hill. And he says, my mother-in-law loved the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. And I want to get her something equally suspenseful and a little dirty, but hopefully that won't feature... I'm trying to decide if this yeah, is a term I, we say on a family uh, show. A sex toy of uh, uh, yeah, specific variety. Yeah. That... That's enough. That's enough. Okay. Easy, easy, <laughs> easy there, Trigger. So, Jeff, what are you going to recommend here for our friend Joe, who has to uh, who has to know that his mother-in-law loved Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm sorry. My internet cut out there a little bit. Can you say that again? <laughs> all right. This one's me. It's all me. Yep. I, I got it, but I came prepared. You're going to buy the Rules of Scoundrels series by Sarah McLean. It starts with A Rogue by Any Other Name. The second book is called One Good Earl Deserves a Lover. And the third is No Good Duke Goes Unpunished. These are the first three in what will be a series of four. Uh, No Good Duke Goes Unpunished comes out next week from when we're recording this. So it'll be out by the time you're listening to this show. Uh, And you can order a signed copy of it from Word Brooklyn, which is a great bookstore that we love in Brooklyn, if that's a thing you're into. These always come out in uh, mass market paperbacks. Um, So they're like $7.99 a piece. Nice. Pick up all three for 25 bucks discounted sarah lives in brooklyn and she signs books at word so if you wanted to get all three signed i bet you that you could call them up at word and get a copy of each one signed so these are uh the regency romances that are set uh in britain uh you know lords and ladies who are supposed to be uh, going out for the season to have their their coming out and then to get matched up for a marriage uh, that is ideally and hopefully uh, financially beneficial to their families uh, but of course, Sarah McLean's ladies who are take the center stage in these books are uh, smart and they are unconventional and they will not settle for just being married to someone that their parents chose uh, because the other family is rich and they've known each other for a long time. These ladies want to marry for love. Uh, and more than that, they would really like to find someone who could ruin them uh, in the Victorian sense uh, before they got married. Uh, so all of the men in these books, uh, the four, the four guys that will be the male leads in this series of four books are connected by a gambling hall that they work at and so there are these great scenes in this huge dark smoky gambling hall where the men hang out and the women aren't allowed to go and there are like secret tunnels in it and uh, in the second book one good earl deserves a lover some naughty things happen in a library Uh, but sarah mclean writes uh, they're dirty, but not dirty in the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, BDSM sense. They're pretty straightforward romance stories. Um, she doesn't use weird or silly terminology for body parts, which I appreciate, uh, but it's also not uh, straightforward or porny language. Um, uh, this is the These are the books that I would buy like for my mother-in-law if she had read Fifty Shades of Grey and had expressed, you know, wanting to read some romance, something that'll maybe make her heart beat a little bit faster, uh, but that well these books are vanilla we'll we'll just go okay. we'll, we'll go with that sarah mclean is vanilla but in a hot way joe heck of a job on your part too can we just say yeah this is this, this is, is good, br- this is good stuff for you to 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 have the the courage 
um, and openness to buy your mom this stuff. Um, Bravo for not Bravo. shaming her. Great job, Joe. Okay, let's go on. Um, Are I'm you a, blushing? Let's move on. No, I'm, I'm too under the weather <laughs> to blush. Um, excuse me. Hello. Looking for recommendations for Christmas. Okay, we got several here. Um, we, well, let's just read them all and we'll take them part by part. Okay. Uh, graphic novel for a 14 to 15-year-old boy. First of all, you should know how old your son is. Let's start there. Uh, he loved Bone, but probably not ready for R-A-S-L. I, I don't know what, know what that, that is. is. Let, um, maybe let's assume this is like a nephew. Yeah, yeah. Um, book for my husband, who is a foodie and loves Anthony Bourdain. He has read all Bourdain, including Nasty Bits and Down and Out in Paris and London. Um, I'm sure he's read most, so she's looking for multiple recommendations. We'll try to help there. A 17, 18-year-old who loved the host Twilight and watches Vampire Diaries would like to move her into more literary novels as she goes to college, but readable stories. Thanks so much. And that's Sarah D. Oh, and she had a post, uh, a postscript. Also looking for a book for an advanced re teen reader who liked Tilt when he was a preteen. Okay. Um, let's start, let's just do with a graphic novel. This is just me, right? Yeah, this is okay. all you, maybe. Having once been a 14 or 15-year-old boy uh, who liked graphic novels, the one I would pick out right now is called Fables. It's a graphic, um, it's not a graphic novel, it's an ongoing series, but they're available in trade paperbacks, which collects a bunch of issues. Um, and each volume reads kind of as a graphic novel with a, a contained narrative arc. Uh, it's called Fables by Bill, Will um, excuse me, uh, Willingham. And basically the premise is that... Um, the classic fairyland uh, characters, Snow White, um, uh, Alice, um, and so on and so forth, got kicked out of fairyland by someone called the Adversary and came to New York um, to seek refuge and all lived together in an apartment building on the Upper West Side. Um, and Fables is the story of what happens to them and how they get in and out of trouble in the big city. Um, the, the, the building they named Fable Town. Um, and they have their own internal political structure, um, but they also go out and in, and you know um, interact with the world. And there's the big bad wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. Sounds awesome. Um, it is awesome. And they're all they're not the they're not the conventional figures. They're more like you know um, more mature takes, like real people. What if these were real people that had these particular backstories? Um, and there's love triangles and murder mysteries. The first one is actually a murder mystery. Um, someone someone gets killed, and the, the fairyland folks have to try to figure out who did it and why. Um, and if he likes that, then there's like I think there are six or eight volumes, so he can nice. he can pound through a bunch of those. Um, if he's 15 and a pretty advanced reader and ready for some interesting stuff, the other one I might recommend is Mouse um, by Art Spiegelman, um, which is about World War II and the Holocaust, um, but metaphorized through mice. And I'm going to leave that there. You decide. I think an advanced, you know, 15-year-old kid would be able to handle it, but um, you'll know this person better than I. Um, Bone is a little off-kilter and subversive, so I, I think they'd probably be ready for Mouse. Certainly Fables. Um, but look into Mouse, M-A-U-S, by Art Spiegelman. Look it up online and, and use your judgment there about what might make sense. So those are my two picks, um, both a lot of fun. Um, okay, let's see. I cannot wait to read Fables now. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You're going to like that. I wonder it's going to be great. I wonder if some of our people have uh, I think some of I our people have read, read that too. Okay, so now So we have foodie. a foodie husband. You, you lead off here. Okay, so foodie husband loves Bourdain and has read everything that Bourdain has written. Uh, I read a lot of food writing too. I'm going to assume if this husband has, you know, kept up with it, he's probably read um, Gabrielle Hamilton's Blood, Bones, and Butter. Oh, that was my I'm... pick. You're, you're, you're oh. undercutting me. Oh, that's a fine. Oh, Don't I'm worry sorry. About it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I saw your other pick. I missed this one. Uh, 
Blood, Bones, and Butter, which uh, is by a, a woman chef, and Anthony Bourdain has called it the best food memoir ever written. Uh, so just on the off chance that he hasn't read that, you want to definitely go there. I've got two new books for you, uh, Sarah D., since you were concerned that your husband uh, is hard to shop for because he, he reads them as they come out. Uh, the first is called Anything That Moves by Dana Goodyear. Uh, it, it just came out like a week or two ago, and it's sort of a, a Mary Roach-esque take on the contemporary food world. Um, how it got to be that being a person who loves food is equated with being willing to try anything and to, to eat weird stuff. Uh, so she goes and like goes into the kitchens of Las Vegas, fancy Las Vegas restaurants and see, meets the guys who are smuggling caviar into them. Uh, she goes with, into the like sort of secret off the grid restaurants that are operating in people's homes uh, and in the back of real restaurants that you know are, are te- technically illegal. Uh, she goes to sushi bars that serve things that are not listed on the menu because they are also illegal. But like, if you know the right guy to ask and the correct way to knock on the door, they'll make you uh, those special secret off the menu sorts of things. It's a really fascinating look at food culture. She's funny and warm. Um, Goodyear has written for the New Yorker for years, uh, really knows the terrain. And I, uh, in the same way that I am both envious and a little bit scared of Mary Roach and the mm. things that she's willing to do in service of getting the story. And that's why uh, we read the books and don't write them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Goodyear uh, wasn't content just to go watch other people push their boundaries. She pushed her own. And I thought that was a really bold and brave way to tell the story. So that's anything that moves. It's brand new. Uh, also brand new is L.A. Sun by Roy Choi. Uh, his last name is C-H-O-I. And he is the first author to be published on Anthony Bourdain's new imprint with Echo at HarperCollins. Uh, he launched... I can't remember what uh, what their formal name is now, but the yeah. sort of very first groundbreaking line of, I think they were Korean barbecue uh, food trucks yep. in LA. He's well known as sort of a hot young up and comer, uh, not just on the LA food scene, but he's changed the face of American food culture. And this is his book about, uh, about doing that and about growing up in LA and the just hugely diverse landscape of eating in Los Angeles. Um, highly, highly recommend that. Awesome. Um, a, a book we talked about on the show a, a, a few weeks ago, maybe, Provence 1970. Mm-hmm. So this isn't going to be the Bourdain-style book. Um, and I, I don't know, it kind of, um, boy, how would you even say, kind of a, you know, real politic of food, the food world. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about a particular um, summer, uh, excuse me, fall of 1970 in Provence in the south of France, where um, James Beard and MFK Fisher... Um, and Julia Child, all some some of the really influential people of mid-century um, American and continental um, f- food, the food world, happened to be vacationing around each other at the same time, and they started having dinners together and talking, um, and really gave birth to the um, rise of the food movement as we know it in America today, moving away from traditional French cooking um, to local um, and a new American. Uh, ways of understanding how we might think about what American cuisine could look like. Um, the guy who wrote it, Luke Barr, is M.F.K. Fisher's grandnephew, who found all these letters and oh, used cool. that as a hook to sort of you know realize what was going on and then pieced it together from there. Um, I haven't read this one, but I I'm going to give this as a gift, and it looks really great. The other one I've given this as a gift. My other pick is Born Round. It's Frank Bruni's memoir, mm-hmm. who was for a long time the um, senior food critic at um, the New York Times. 
and it's a lot of fun. He is erudite in kind of a classical New York Times kind of way, actually more of a New Yorker kind of way, um, cerebral, but also passionate and analytical, but also fun. Um, and the story of, you know, how, how, how he came to be who he was and his life and food. Um, and that's a, and that's an interesting take too. So though my two picks aren't exactly, exactly in the Bourdain vein, uh, so to speak, but, um, for someone who likes reading about food, those would be good takes. Oh, I have one more. Okay. I, I read and loved this book this year. Life is Meals, a food lover's book of days by James Salter and his wife, Kay mm. Salter. James Salter, as we have mentioned on the show before, is one of the places where your fiction taste and my fiction taste Venn right. diagram. But yep. he also uh, is a wonderful nonfiction writer. And Life is Meals, the, the best way that I've come on to describe it is sort of a daily devotional for food lovers. Uh, there are 365 short vignettes. They're broken up by month. So you, um, it's, it's designed for you to read one per day. Um, some are recipes. Some are stories about dinner parties that Salter and his wife threw. Dinner parties where like John Irving shows up with a new woman that he started dating who Damn, eventually becomes his the, that's the best pick. That's a heck of a pick. Shinsky. It's a good. It's a good intersection, also of food and, and literature. And he's a, a beautiful literary writer. Um, but the story behind the book, I think, is really lovely. Salter and his wife, when they started living together kept a, a bound leather notebook in their kitchen that um, they where they recorded all of their recipes and the dinner parties that they threw. They took it traveling with them. They recorded the meals that they ate out and like the wonderful memories that they made and also like the disastrous meals. Mm. Uh, and one of my favorite details is that they'll put like, here is our uh, lasagna. You know, it make it this way. It serves eight or four people and one Jeff because Jeff loved this lasagna so much. <laughs> and they would flip back through the next time that Jeff was coming for dinner and see what they cooked that he loved or what they cooked that someone then, you know, later on said they didn't like so that they wouldn't cook that thing again. It's this really wonderful record of a couple's life together in food. And uh, if, if you mark your life by meals, it's really, it's really wonderful. That's a great pick. I actually haven't, that's, that's, I think the one Salter I haven't read. So I'm going to have to circle back. That to one, that. it's also, uh, this is a holiday gift guide, but Life is Meals is also my new go-to wedding gift oh, book for oh, people who like to nice. eat. I have been giving Life is Meals along with a nice leather journal and a card explaining, like, now as you're you know, going off. I mean, I have a lot of friends who love to eat, so this works for them. Um, but then they you know, go off to Ireland on their honeymoon and can record the meals that they shared on their honeymoon and then st sort of start to keep track of their own life in food together. Maybe in May we should do a um, graduation slash Mother's Day slash Father's Day slash wedding season gift guide show. Books for dads is a big deal in dads, the spring. Dads, grads, nuptials, and uh, other Sunday. That would be fun. People. Let's do that. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll more mark that. Okay. Uh, 17, 18 year old who loved the host Twilight Watch. Okay. Watches Vampire Diaries. Um, I'm picking, I think my number A1 pick here is The Night Circus. Um, good crossover. By Aaron Morgenstern. Um, which is a fantastical romance about a couple of um, real-life magicians. That's weird to say. They, they actually can <laughs> do magic, who enter into a bet about who can raise um, and train the best magician. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to end the 
I think anything more than that, you start to get into spoiler territory, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. There's the writing's a romance, really beautiful. The writing's really beautiful. It's great on audio. It's going to be a movie that I'm sure is going to be a lot of fun. It's um, clean. Yeah, it's there's clean. Like that's a, right. There's yeah. that sort of tension hangs between yeah, cause it's the teen like characters. Yeah, because it's set in like 19th century no America and London, so it's a little buttoned up. Um, but yet it has some yearning. Which is always nice. Um, <laughs> clean with clean, yearning. Clean with yearning. Uh, let's see. Um, the other one I'm going to go to is I've got another. I'm skipping those. I wonder. She might be ready for interview with a vampire. She's 18. She likes some of the host Twilight, some of that vampire stuff. Is she ready yeah, for? Probably. You know, Anne Rice and the, the really the birth of the modern infatuation with vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Lestat and I can't remember the Brad Pitt's character's name in that. Um, but if she's 18, get ready to go to college, you know what? She's going to read tougher stuff than this when she gets to college. But this is, you know, um, basically the narrator, I can't remember the character's name, goes to interview a vampire about his life and what happened and how things, how they came to America and set in New Orleans and Rice's hometowns. A lot of great stuff was setting. So gothic and dark. And gothic and dark, um, but also really readable. Um and there's some violence, but it's not, you know, I mean, if you're reading vampire books, you're expecting a little bit of that. So it might, mm-hmm. I think it might be time for a step up. So the Night Circus and the Interview with, interview with the Vampire would be my two picks. Yeah, I'm going to go with The Passage by Justin Cronin. Uh, this to me satisfies vampires, but literary, like just, you know, hit the nail straight on the head. Justin Cronin is uh, originally a literary fiction writer, um, but that wasn't paying off hugely for him as literary fiction tends not to do. And so he decided to try his hand at vampires and this is a trilogy. Mm. Uh, They're big, long books. The first two are out now. Uh, But the passage is about what happens uh, when the government is secretly conducting an experiment um, from a, like I think it's a plant or something from tree bark that they've located uh, in South America that they notice is reversing people's aging and then eventually is keeping them alive longer than they should be. Uh, so they sign up death row prisoners whose choice is either to go to death, to stay on death row and to be put to death or to enter into this like top secret government experiment and have this stuff uh, administered to them. Uh, so those, the, the 12 guys who sign up for the experiment become sort of the patient zeros of this whole thing. And they accidentally become vampires, vampire sort of creatures. And then they accidentally break out somehow in a way that I won't spoil from Mm. the compound where they're being kept in Colorado. And it's, it's a viral outbreak that overtakes the country. And then you get hundreds of years of history in this book of, uh, of what happens to, uh, to individuals in different little like pods and communities across America as that takes place. If you're a uh, 17 to 18 year old is also like watching the walking dead. It has a similar feel to like a before and after how things happened and what the consequences were and what life was like after the big outbreak. Um, and maybe Max Berry, mm. maybe lexicon by Max Berry, which is like, uh, my, pitch for this is uh x-men meets lev grossman's the magicians which is like harry potter with sex and drugs um but it's all about words and the superpower has to do with using words to unlock people's brains it's super nerdy that's a good pick those are good picks um one last one here so for the um the advanced teen reader who liked Tilt, which I assume is Tilt by Ellen Hopkins. Do you know this book at all, Rebecca? I know Ellen Hopkins, but I don't know Tilt in particular. So this one is about three teens who um, their parents' lives are intertwined, and so their lives become intertwined. 
Um, it sounds, I, I don't know the book, but it sounds like it's pretty advanced. There's a, there's an HIV storyline, um, and some other, um, uh, difficult subjects, but it's a, you know, a friend drama, a teenage friend mm-hmm. drama. So I'm going to pick, I, I didn't have one, right? So I'm doing this off the cuff. I got a couple of choices. Um, special topics in calamity physics. Oh, um, by Marissa Pessel, uh, which is um, set in a high school, um, and it's about um, a group of students who all are a fan of a particular teacher, and stuff happens, and it's fun and it's smart. And if they're advanced teen readers, they're really going to get into this because it's about smart teenage kids um, in high school who are reading um, books together, having discussions, but also getting in each other's business in all the kinds of fun ways. Um, She's a hip young writer. She has a new book out this year, which is not really a good fit. Um, The other one might be related to that, our our good friend Donna Tartt's The Secret History, Mm -hmm. um, which is also about a group of students, older students, college students, um, who are in a classics, kind of acolytes of a classics professor, and some serious stuff goes down. That's a nice little one-two punch, actually, together. Yeah, and you can even say what the serious stuff is because it's revealed on the first page. This oh, yeah, right. group of college students kill one of their friends. One of their friends. And the yeah. rest of the book is a rewind to how it came to be that they murdered yep. uh, one of the members of their small, close-knit group. Uh, I'm going to go, since Ellen Hopkins is known for like very, as you uh, mentioned sort of in the the pitch they're very mm. forthrightly handling difficult subject yep. matter for teens she does not underestimate teen readers uh by any stretch i'm going to go with anything by as king who mm. uh, i think does this better than uh better than anybody else who's writing today and i don't know why we're not just like giving all of the awards to as king <laughs> um, i love her uh, her books handle difficult subject matter but it's not uh it's not like done in a dramatic way it's a, it's this very matter of fact look at the issues that teens face um the newest one is called Reality Boy. I think I talked about it on a previous episode. It's about uh, a, a kid who, when he was five, his parents went, took their family on one of those like super nanny shows, and his sister was the jewel, and he was the one that was getting in trouble all the time. And he did some really embarrassing things, as a five-year-old would do on a reality show, and all of his friends and his teachers and like everyone in their community has seen this, and now the thing is in syndication and reruns, and so he's facing down his life as a 17-year-old. Um, with everyone having this very narrow idea of who he is defined by what they saw on television. So it's a really smart look, you know, at sort of how, how families become dysfunctional and get locked in things and what it's like to be trying to change it, but also what you do, um, you know, what you do to deal with media in your life, particularly uh, as a teenager. One of the previous ones that I really liked was called Ask the Passengers. Uh, The main character of that is a teenage girl who is coming to terms with the fact that she's a lesbian, Um, but her family is, they live in a small town. They left the big city so that they could have an idyllic small town life, and they look like the perfect family from the outside. Of course, that's not the case. Um, Her parents are unhappy. They're hardly talking to each other. Her mom ignores her, but favors her little sister. And she's going to work at the restaurant mm. uh, where she's employed after school and having like secret makeout sessions with another <laughs> girl who works there in the freezer. That girl is ready to to come out, but the main character Astrid in this book is not. And uh, Astrid 
will go out into her family's backyard and lie on her back on their picnic table and watch uh, planes pass over uh, overhead. And she sends thoughts up to them. And uh, all of A.S. King's books have a little touch of the surreal or a little touch of like magic or magic realism. And so I won't spoil the way that um, Astrid's thinking about those people in the planes gets woven into the story. Um, but really, each of her books sort of handles a different aspect. Everybody sees the ants as about a kid who's bullied, um, who starts having really vivid dreams um, based on his grandfather's experience in Vietnam. Uh, so there's there's something for everybody in A.S. King's lineup, but I think if you're if you've got a teen who is advanced, who's not afraid to, you know, to face those real life issues or who is looking for that in fiction, that's where I would go. Uh, we should also say, um, sometimes we do this, we're gonna assume your advanced teen reader has read Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh yeah. Because if it they haven't, if you can find out if they haven't, that would be A1 special sauce with a bullet um, recommendation, I know, from both of us. Uh, one more. This is a little further afield, but it's about teenagers dealing with a tough issue. Um, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Oh. Um, do you know him at all? Do you, I don't know I've you... read uh, Remains of the yeah, Day. Yeah, so this one, it's, a, it's, it's dystopian but very light um, in terms of the setting, but basically a group of teenagers who grew up, to get, grew up together in a special community, and they're being essentially raised for their body parts. Um, mm. And as they come of age, they go in for surgeries where various things are taken from them. Um, and it's the story of how they react to that together and their relationships and ultimately what they decide to do about it. Um, so it's another advanced teen but adult and love story um, and longing and loss um, and beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, that's more of an adult title, but an advanced teen reader um, who likes to see relationships in interesting circumstances will find that interesting as well. Okay. All right. Here's one from Rachel F. She needs a Christmas gift for her very grumpy father-in-law. She fails every year at Christmas. She says, I've tried going both goofy and practical. Both efforts garnered a lackluster thanks. And I'm pretty sure both gifts are still in their original packaging in a closet somewhere. <laughs> oh, man, Rachel, we've all oh, been there. Oh, <laughs> no, we Rachel. Uh, this year, I'd like to get him a book because he does like to read, but his reading taste is totally different from my own, so I'm a little bit out of my depth. I know he likes Brad Thor. He usually gets his new books hot off the presses, and he reads a lot of O'Reilly and Beck and others of that ilk. I'd like to get him something in a vein that interests him, but a little outside of his usual suggestions. Okay, Rachel, um, we're going to try hard here. We're, we tried, we tried hard, but we're going to try harder for you because mm -hmm. we know your situation. That's a tough one. Um, I've got a couple ideas. Um, if you want to go the mystery thriller route, um, maybe go outside the U.S. Brad Thor, I don't know Brad Thor. Uh, I've never read the books, but I know, I think mystery, thriller, military stuff is my mm -hmm. understanding. So I might try, let's take a trip um, up north and across the Atlantic um, to Scandinavia, who has a very um, robust mystery thriller tradition. And the two um, brightest names there are Henning Mankell is one author, and the other one is Joe Nesbo. The pick I'm going to give you is Henning Mankell's The Troubled Man. Um, and basically a former Navy officer is found dead. Um, and Henning Mankell's regular, um, detective, I can't think of the name right now. I think it's Wallander, if I remember correctly, um, gets involved and it turns into a unraveling of cold word secrets, which would be in the Brad Thor vein. Mm -hmm. Um, so also I'm guessing with O'Reilly and Beck, this is America Rara stuff. 
um, which I don't read, and I'm not going to recommend anything I don't read in that vein because it's not my thing either. But darn it, I just read uh, Killer Angels um, uh, by Michael Shara, which is a historical novel about Gettysburg, which is just unbelievably awesome. Ooh, and timely because of the 150th, 150th anniversary, anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. Uh, and the Battle of Gettysburg 150 years ago this July 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Um, and he may have read that already or not. It, it, it's, you know, I'm, I guess we shouldn't assume with these folks what they've read or, uh, what, just because something's famous. But that one is it's literary but also patriotic and historical but also doesn't blanch from the difficulties um, of the war and the issues and what happened. But a f- fascinating look, unlike anything I've really ever read before um, on the American scene. So that's Henning Mankell's The Troubled Man and Michael Shara's The Killer Angels are going to be my two picks for you. You got anything yeah. there? Rebecca? Well, um, maybe. I've got some guesses. If he's reading Brad Thor, he might already be reading David Baldacci. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's not, those would be a great place to go. Um, Baldacci writes very you know, well-paced, sort of political um political thrillers essentially there's always like somebody in dc who's going to do something bad and the the main guy you know figures it all out and and saves the day um uh, but i've read a bunch of them uh baldacci is from richmond and uh you can't really live here and and not read some of his books and they're they're you know they're great and fun and exactly what i would want if if that's the kind of book that i was in the mood for at that point um i think our boy dan brown might be a good pick uh here if your father-in-law hasn't read dan brown those are also just sort of great capers uh and you get to you get to leave america and go across the pond and run through europe and solve some mysteries um and maybe a, a pick totally out of left field but that i was thinking about while you were talking about killer angels mm. jeff is um matterhorn by carl marantes uh, yes excellent this is a uh, it's a big and like i mean 700 page novel about um being the Vietnam War. Marlantes uh, spent 30 years writing and rewriting and revising and trying to get it published. And it came out, I believe, in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, really terrific. And I think he does a he does a very nice job of walking the line that so many novelists walk when they write, particularly about Vietnam, um, with, uh, you know, there's the pain and the anguish and sort of the psychological difficulty of being at war uh, and the anger that a lot of young men felt coming home um, from the Vietnam War, but also the um, the exploration of just the military goings on in the novel uh, mm. is, is really interesting, um, how people get medals that they possibly don't deserve but they get promoted up the ranks anyway um what the race issues were like um between you know between guys who were fighting um fighting side by side but were from very different backgrounds it's just a great great book um probably not something that your father-in-law i'm going to guess would have picked up on his own um they're not shelving it you know on the same read this than that tables uh, at barnes and noble but uh, a really excellent book i haven't given it to anybody who hasn't finished it mm. uh, which i think is a really amazing pitch for a 700 page novel um it's really terrific that's a great pick we both love that book too yeah we do our Venn diagram is like yeah. war novels and James Salter <laughs> and, and Tony and, Morris. And Timo. <laughs> so we're going to take a break again and talk about our, they, they picked up the whole show. That's why we're doing this show actually. Yeah. They, they, they had this idea. They had this sponsorship and we're trying to think of something to do um, oh, that would be related to, to and fun related to gifts. Um, and so, so we came up with this is the random houses. 
gift guide for holiday of 2013, randomhouse.tumblr.com. So starting on November 22nd, so by the time this show is um, aired, we're recording it before the 22nd, you can go to randomhouse.tumblr.com. There's a little search box in the upper right-hand corner, that telltale spyglass, or spyglass, magnifying glass. Um, no, search, it's a spyglass. Let's go with that. Okay, spyglass. I kind of want a spyglass now. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can search for holiday 2013 or holiday 2012. Those are already available right now. We're just looking at them. And you will find there dozens of lists mm-hmm. of categories, themes, topics, collections of, uh, of various kinds of books and readers. So kids' books, middle grade People like mysteries, people like romances, people like Christmas books. That's a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Like oh, that's Christmas, totally a thing. Like Christmas-themed books are huge sellers, apparently. Um, Glenn Beck wrote one. Yeah, that's what you John can Grisham do, did Rachel too. F. <laughs> yeah, Rachel did John Grisham's Christmas book. Uh, and, you know, a whole variety oh, of things. So did David Baldacci. <laughs> yeah, is that right? Jeff, when is Dan Brown's Christmas book going to come out? Oh, they find Santa Claus dead at the Metropolitan <laughs> Museum of Art. <laughs> Random house, hear my cry. Yeah, is right. Uh, so you go there and you can, you know, it's really browsable. Um, if you haven't used Tumblr before, many of you haven't, it's really easy to search and fun to scroll. It's well laid out, does images really well. Um, Random House has done a really nice job um, using what Tumblr can do to make it really fun to search for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. The titles are a combination of Penguin and Random House books. They just merged this year, so you get double the pleasure of what they're going to be picking from, both new books and also backlist, things that have been around for a while. And they're going to be keeping a running list of all the end-of-year best book lists that oh, come that's out. Oh, that's good. That's uh, good. Which also uh, David Gutowski does at his blog, Large Hearted Boy. He's already started that, so you can get like all of the best book of the year list that you ever could want or never even knew existed, but now you can't live without from right. this random house, uh, randomhouse.tumblr.com and from our friend at, at large hearted boy. And here at the random house Tumblr, they're going to also keep highlights from the list and turn them into books as gifts flow charts. Uh, so if, you, if might, this you, little... might, you know what, if you've got a gift card that you, you, you know, a lot of us readers ask for gift cards. Mm-hmm. So if you're the kind of person that asked us a question, probably people have a dickens of a time shopping for you. I know that's true for me. So oh, yeah. this might be a good place for you to find something new. Right. Maybe, we should, do a follow-up show after, maybe we should do a follow-up show after people ask us when they, what they should spend their gift cards on. We could do a follow-up. This is fun. Um, so randomhouse.tumblr.com, thanks so much for sponsoring this show and giving us a chance to go off script a little bit and talk to you guys about some books. So let's, let's marshal on, shall we? Let us marshal on. Okay, this is a long one, so we're not going to read the whole thing. Long story short, Christina wrote in, and her husband has a, has a master's in theological studies in MTS, and he mostly reads nonfiction, philosophical, and religious-type books. Sometimes read fiction, but has a hard time choosing because he has standards or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Christina says, I like that. I'm going to add that to my bio. His favorite novelists are Endo, Graham Greene, Flannery O'Connor, Victor Hugo, uh, he wishes he, there was another Flannery O'Connor novel, but she only wrote three and he's read them all. Oh boy, me too, um, man. Let's see. So she says, I'd like to give him a book that will make him laugh and another more serious book that will move him. Whatever he reads, it needs to make him think and challenge him. He never reads anything contemporary, but I think he should. He has an academic and has academic tastes. I'm more of an academic with less scholarly tastes. I love mystery, spy novels, and more contemporary popular books. Let's just say he usually doesn't take my suggestion on what to read next. Okay. I think we can help you out here. I think we can. You go I think first. Maybe your, this your pick's is the better question than mine. That we were born to yeah, answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, we both grew up in the church, uh, and we both read some books. My pick is The Sparrow by Mary Dory. God Russell, damn, that's a good pick, Shinsky. Which, I uh, know, oh, man. I 
pick this book. I, I've given this book and the book that I'm going to talk about for the next question. Those two I have given as mm-hmm. gifts more than uh, any other books that I have given as gifts. I give them over and over and over. And I have, I've been giving this one for a decade. Um, I first read it in college. It's the Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. The short pitch is that it's Jesuits in space. Uh, but the real pitch is that it's much more than that. It's set slightly in the future and some Jesuit scientists uh, at in Rome just detect what they think is music coming from another planet. So they spend several months uh, studying this and putting a mission together. They believe uh, that there is sentient life on this other planet. So they gather several priests, they gather a linguist, they have some scientists, you know, a botanist, uh, some cultural type people who are, who are supposed to help them be able to, uh, to meet these other sentient beings that might be out there and get along <laughs> mm-hmm. with them, uh, and, and understand their culture and be able to, you know, hopefully to do some studying and to figure out like, what is this other life that's out there in the universe? Um, Mary Doria Russell is a scientist by trade, but clearly has a, a, a huge interest in, uh, what what's what's in the universe and maybe who made the universe and so many of these characters in the sparrow are religious and have in fact devoted their lives to um, to their faith the main character is the linguist there's really fascinating stuff about how he goes about cracking the code of these other beings that are out there when they get there um, and some some very difficult and heartbreaking things occur that in the end the whole story functions to ask the question of if there is a god who is planning our lives for us and who's guiding everything then how and why uh, do some of these terrible things happen. What does it mean that humans aren't the only ones in the universe? And and how do you reconcile the the notion of a loving God with a with a God that allows very difficult things to happen to human beings? Which is a question that uh, that I think you know people wrestle with in their religious lives on Earth, whether or not there are actually aliens out there. It's um, it's heartbreaking and really beautiful, and it asks those big questions in a way that um, that no other novel that I've ever read has asked so successfully. Um, it's a for sure gotta read it. That's a good pick. Um, we're going to talk about our Venn diagrams overlapping, and here <laughs> yeah, we go this again. One, I'm so, I was so excited when you put this one in the show notes. Um, this is a doubleheader. Marilyn Robinson's Gilead and the side quill, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. um, home. So Gilead came out first and it won all the awards, um, literally, almost literally, when it came out about 10 years ago, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story of uh, Reverend Jonathan Ames is a 70-year-old, um, I don't remember what denomination uh, he is, Presbyterian or something, you know, uh, a Christian denomination. Midwestern Protestant. Midwest, uh, it lives in Iowa. And he's he got married late, and he has a seven-year-old son, um, and he knows his health is failing, and I'm going to get choked up talking about it. Um, uh, and he he sits down to write letters. Basically, it's letters, but it's it's short vignettes, but it's all in one book, sort of like a diary or journal, um, to his son um, about his life, um, about his faith, um, about his 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 late marriage. Um, and about what the boy has meant to him and what he hopes for him um, and what he wants him to understand about his life. Um, <laughs> Getting teary. Yeah, I know. It's, just, it's, it's it. horror. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful book um, uh, and close to my heart, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of different ways that I won't get into here. Um, but, you know, Marilyn Robinson is a, a treasure and someone who thinks, interestingly about faith um and art 
um, and storytelling. And then home is um, the, the the subplot in Gilead is that Reverend names his best friend is also a t- uh, a preacher. I can't remember. It's, it begins with a B. I'm going to say Bauer or something like that, the next door neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a family drama of their own going on in which the, um, the, the, the preacher is, his friend is, his health is failing as well. And he has a long estranged son who comes back, Jack, mm-hmm. um, to, to pay a visit to his old man. Um, and Ames tries to help them both through it. Um, talking to them both, um, and kind of as a mirror to, to aim his own life and position. And so home is the story they're told from their point of view, um, told by glory, who is Jack's sister. So son of a B character in the B story from Gilead gets center stage. Um, and it's also very good. Uh, it's not quite as much about faith. It's more about, um, forgiveness and patience. Um, that book. And the, the, the takeaway here is there's another book coming out. Um, the third part of what I hope is more than a trilogy, actually. And Marilyn Robinson Marilyn forever. Robinson, forever. Just keep writing. Um, which, from what we understand, will be um, told from Reverend Ames's uh, wife's point of view, which mm-hmm. you get very little of her um, in Gilead. Um, so that should be interesting. So that's my. those are my two picks there. I actually got one mm-hmm. other that I just thought of as I'm Man, saying this. Man, that's a good one. Um, this just came out, but Flannery O'Connor's A Prayer Journal was just published recently. Oh, right. Um, which is taken from her her personal documents um, that she wrote, I think they're in her journal, while she was an undergraduate at the University of Iowa. Um, and it's kind of, it's her faith and aspirational document, talking about her struggles with her own faith. She was a religious person, as I'm sure um, your, your fellow knows. Um, but also an artist and a modern woman in a lot of ways. Um, and she's trying to reconcile the tenets of her faith um, with what she wants to do with her life. Um, and it's supposed to be very good. Marilyn Robinson actually reviewed it in the New York Times, which was one of the great reviews I've seen recently, actually. Um, and it seems like a really interesting document and a fastball down your husband's uh, uh, strike zone. Um, if he likes O'Connor and he has MTS, he maybe should be issued this tomorrow uh, by the governing board of wherever he's from. So I hope we got some picks for you there. Um, okay. I'm no longer tearing up. Okay, yeah, we've both recovered. <laughs> I'm prepared, we've, uh, but the next one might make me cry. Jeez, I, I, I know. We've declempted and we're going to... <laughs> um, we've made it 30 episodes before I cried on here. I cried on Book Rage much sooner. <laughs> uh, so... So this is from Elizabeth. I have a friend that lost her dad over the summer, and she's only 22. Mm. I'm hoping to get her a book that will help her heal, but I don't want it to be too painful to get through. Any suggestions would be great. Well, Elizabeth, um, That's you want to go first again? Yeah, or you want me to go first? I'll, I'll go first mm-hmm. here, I think. Um, my pick is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. This is the other book that I've given as a gift more times than anything else, which mm-hmm. is saying something because it's only been out for about a year. Um, Cheryl Strayed, who you may recognize from Wild, which was her uh, her memoir that came out first and is now very famous. Um, before anyone knew who she was, she anonymously wrote an advice column for a website called The Rumpus, and the column was called Dear Sugar, where people wrote in about the, the really difficult things that were going on in their lives. Um, some of it, some of them were um, losses of a friend or a loved one. Some of them are relationship troubles. Some have to do with addiction. Some have to do with just being stuck in your life and not really knowing um, what decision to make or how to get out of it. And so Dear Sugar, uh, Cheryl Strayed wrote answers to them, wrote essentially um, essays in response to each question that also revealed a lot of things about her own life and her own struggle. 
with addiction and with losing her mother um, and with some of the things that she came back from as a person and how she did that. And the short version is life is hard and there is no easy way to get out of these. Um, but the, the pieces uh, in Tiny Beautiful Things are really tender when they need to be um, and straight issues tough love when she needs to issue tough love. And what I found really comforting and wonderful about the book is um, it's not schadenfreude uh, in the least. It's not delighting in other people's pain. It's very much a look at uh, how how experiencing painful things is a part of humanity um, and that we're all broken. And while you are broken in one way and your friend is, is broken right now after the death of her father, there are ways that we uh, can make ourselves whole and ways that we can support each other in becoming whole. Um, and I read it at a difficult point in my life and uh, have given the book to friends who were struggling. And the really lovely thing is that then you have this common language of this book um, with your friend and the way that straight addresses problems where now uh, when my best friend has something go on in her life, there's a, a Cheryl Strayed quote will pass between the two of us or a reference to something where we both know what that means. Um, I think it's really uncommon for a book to be able to do that, not just to give you insight into how to deal with your own pain. Um, the pieces are short. She could skip over stuff about death if she wanted to. She could just read Cheryl Strayed's wise words about other things. Um, I think the lessons there and the insight would be valuable anyway. And and if you read it along with her and you, you two had that shared way to talk about this really difficult thing, sometimes it's hard to just address them head on. But if you can work through the lens of a book that you've read together, um, it might be uh, more useful. Good pick. I'm going. Yours with, is good too. I'm looking. I'm going it. with what was probably the tiny, beautiful things of early 20th century German poetry. Um, <laughs> Letters to a young poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. Mm-hmm. Um, Rilke, one of the great um, German poets. Um, it's an interesting story. Um, a student, uh, and you, this is something you could do back in the day, which you can't really do now, or at least not that I hear of. Uh, that would be like emails to yeah, a young poet. Yeah, right. He wrote Rilke kind of fan letter, basically, um, and asked him some questions, and Rilke wrote back, and they struck up a correspondence, um, an epistolary relationship. I don't think they ever met in person, as far as I understand. Um, and kind of was like a father figure, an artistic father figure to this guy. Um, and the, the student whose name escapes me, I really should know that, um, asked a lot of questions about art. Um, and about love, um, and about adulthood, and time, and meaning. Um, And Rilke gave him answers, but the kind of answers that are generative insofar as he didn't tell them, he didn't tell them what to think or do or believe, but how to, and one of the great, um, one of the great phrases from Rilke that I think about all the time is, how to not worry about so much about the the answers, but just to live the questions. Mm, Um, That's really beautiful. Yeah. And it's a slim volume, um, and it's the the one you can buy in most bookstores is about the size of something that slips in the back of your jean pockets, um, and it's uh, you could do worse at, for a secular devotional uh, mm-hmm. than reading one of the letters from Letters to a Young Poet every day. Um, like Rebecca said, these kinds of things that your friend is dealing with probably are not um, best dealt with head on. I wouldn't give her Gilead, for example, right yet. Um, but this is obliquely about life, the universe, and everything, um, and how to make sense of what seems like a nonsensical world. Um, so that's Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, Tiny Beautiful Things, also good. Get them both. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, 
um, When Women Were Birds by Terry uh, Tempest I Williams. I wonder. <laughs> Can I go a gift recommendation show without talking about <laughs> <laughs> this book? Um, I, uh, without exaggerating, When Women Were Birds really changed my life. Um, and it is about uh, Terry Tempest Williams wrote it when she was 54. Uh, when her mother was 54, she died of cancer and uh, left Terry her lifetime's collection of journals. They're a Mormon family and in Mormon culture, um, keeping a journal is a very important part of what the women do. You, you keep a journal, you pass down all of your journals to your children, and then they have the story of your life. Uh, so Terry's mother died when she was 54. Uh, and Terry then got to the shelf of journals and opened them and every last one was blank. This is a true story. Uh, so when, when Terry had had some years to cope with that and she herself was 54, she wrote when women were birds, which is 54, it's called 54 variations on voice, but it's essentially 54 vignettes. Some are essays, some are poems, some of them read like prayers. Um, and it's, it's not so much about dealing with the loss as it is about, uh, putting together her mother's legacy. There's this sort of mystery that hovers over it all of what does it mean that my mother uh, chose not to use her voice, that she chose uh, not just to not keep a journal, she chose to keep journals, but to leave them blank and then to leave them to me so I knew that they were blank. Um, Terry trying to parse that is a large part of the story, but it's also in a bigger sense about uh, about family, about those complex relationships that we have with our parents and with our siblings and sort of making sense of a legacy. Um, it's not directly about dealing with the death, maybe tiny, beautiful things and letters to a young poet now. And when we yeah. were birds in like six months and then maybe Gilead in six or seven years, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to cry no matter what. Yeah, It doesn't matter. <laughs> Gilead should just come with a little uh, pocket patch, like pouch of cleaner. <laughs> God damn. That's a good book. Okay. Let's go on to, um, more fun pastures. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Jory. Yeah, I guess I read the last two. Why don't you go for this yeah, one? Yeah, Jory uh, has a friend that loves Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, uh, but has read and enjoyed most of the books that are usually recommended as being similar. Uh, the Magicians by Lev Grossman, The Night Circus, which we just talked about, uh, The 13th Tale by Dan Setterfield, and Little Big, which uh, which I haven't heard about, actually. Um, John she Crowley, wants to know, it's an interesting book, yeah. Uh, can you recommend books that are similar but might have flown under the radar? Where you want to go, Jeff? I'm going with something I think that came out last year called Aleph the Unseen. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Um, basically, it's uh, about Aleph. Um, and uh, let's see. By who, G. Willow Wilson? G. Willow Wilson, yeah. Um, it's in the tradition of Neil Stevenson and Gaiman and Philip Pullman. Um, it's about... Uh, this guy Aleph um, gets jilted by his lover, um, but his 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 um, girlfriend's fiance uh, is involved in the government of the Middle Eastern state they live in. It's unnamed, um, and uh, Aleph is a hacker, so they're trying to get after him. But we get this element of the supernatural when he finds this book um, the, called um, "The Thousand One Days." Um, the Secret Book of the Jinn, which is part magic, part technology um, that he's using to try to resist being caught. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's set in a different part of the world than these kinds of things normally are. Um, I think I think of it if as a, if, if a Salman Rushdie and Neil Gaiman had a baby. I think Ooh. you get Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson. It's a lot of fun, um, and it's it's deep. 
in terms of it. It's more complicated than um, some of these types of things. So I thought it was really great. A couple of our writers for Book Riot read it last year and had good things to say about it. Yeah, and it um, was on a bunch of best of lists in 2012. Yeah, yeah but didn't really go past that. So I'm guessing probably um, probably still probably under still radar. under the radar. I'm going to go with Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in, in all the ways that Alif the Unseen is about technology and sort of futuristic stuff. Angel Maker kicks it old school. Uh, it's about a clock repairman named Joe Spork, which, you know, awesome yep. name. Uh, but Joe Spork's father, it turns out, was something of a gangster and was involved in the like the underground, like literal underground scene uh, of London. And now they also the family has connections to like super spies and someone who's mm. built what seems to be like a doomsday machine uh that involves mechanical bees and if the bees get out then like people will be able to detect lies and hear thoughts and the world will explode Uh, and there are old trains and joe spork has got to go from being a calm and unassuming quiet uh clock repairman into being a hero uh in the matter of a couple of weeks and he's uh, got shem shem cn is this big evil uh sort of classically villainous character from the orient and you can just see harkaway pulling on uh on you know some stereotypes and turning them around to make them uh, entertaining and to point out how they are funny um there's this great super spy uh here a heroine named edie bannister who's like in her 80s mm. and she's got this little dog that she takes around everywhere and she just beats the crap out of everyone in her <laughs> in her way. It's the most fun uh, that I had reading in 2012 when it came out. I, it was like the first book I read last year. And then all year, I just kept waiting for something else to be as much fun uh, as Angel Maker was. It's kind of a hard book to pitch, but it's really just really great. Um, it's rompy and a little bit steampunkish, um, but also flew under the radar. Harkaway manages to fly under the radar, but, uh, but like A.S. King, I feel like everyone should know about him and, and should read these. And maybe also for your friend, now that my brain's playing hopscotch mm-hmm. down down that line, Skippy Dies ah. uh, by Paul Murray, which it's been a couple of years since it came out. Uh, our friend Skippy goes to an all-boys boarding school in Ireland, Ireland or Scotland. Um, Same and- diff. <laughs> I'm just going to let you take mm-hmm. the fall for that one. Uh, I have an apostrophe in my name. I can say that. <laughs> right. Right. I have the red hair in the freckles. There you go. Uh, so on the, like in the opening scene, Skippy is dying on the floor of the donut shop across the street from the school. And he writes his dying message in donut jelly on the floor. And then the book is, a, is the rewind sort of in the same way that the secret history is to um, what happened how did skippy end up dying mm-hmm. on the floor of the donut shop was it a murder is it an accident um there's another student at the school uh, who's building uh like a robot time machine in the basement that he's convinced is going to work and the other boys think they're just going along with it pretending that it works uh there's a teacher who is up to no good uh there are typical teenage boy fumblings with girls and like lots of teenage boy fart jokes uh this it's sort of like a 
a grown up Harry Potter feel like you've got, mm-hmm. uh, you've got all these boys off at boarding school. Um, they behave the way that you would expect teenage boys at boarding school to behave. Uh, but it's, it's silly. There's a little touch of magic. Skippy's really obsessed with this one video game and he's sort of like, he's doing some drugs and he hallucinates himself into the video game <laughs> several mm. times. Um, also a hard one to pitch, but a really, really fun, uh, chunky book too. It's uh, Jonathan strange and Mr. Norrell is like 700 pages yep. and Skippy dies is right up there. You know, again, I'm going to back up kind of like I did with Perks of Being a Wallflower before and say that if um, if your friend hasn't read his Dark Materials trilogy by mm-hmm. Philip Pullman, um, that would be a great one to do as well. Um, the first one is The Golden Compass, which was made into a pretty bad movie that yeah. I enjoyed nevertheless. Um, but, uh, there, <laughs> Don't let that it, stop it, you. it was bad enough that they're not making the rest. That tells you something. Um, but it's uh, set in an alternate version of our world. Um, and, oh boy, gollies, it's, it's just kind of hard to, uh, uh, summarize. Some of these one. are hard to, yeah, yeah. I mean, these big sprawling sort of own world books are, are difficult to encapsulate, but there's a girl, um, who be, be, finds herself at the center of a struggle for the sort of soul of the world. Um, and there's magic and technology and globe trotting and, you know, confrontation and good and evil and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big one too. So you can get them as, you can get as a nice, big, thick book, which is, you know, you like to get those over Christmas break, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you can dive in and read all of them. I read them all on the beach in the Dominican Republic about four years ago and just had a great time with that. I want um, to go to there right now. Yeah, I know. So those are, so Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway, His Dark Materials um, by Philip Pullman, and then Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson, and it's Aleph, A-L-I-F, the Unseen there. All right. Last reader question. Last reader question. This is from uh, someone whose screen name at Book Riot is Geriatric Gretch. She says, I usually buy my father a book. He likes lots of things. American history is always safe and anything to do with mid-century pop culture. Uh, But he always just reads it once, usually right then on Christmas, uh, which is cool. That's very Uh, cool. And then he never touches it again. I'd really like to get him a book that would be something he could use over and over again or refer to, or maybe a subscription. He also doesn't do the internet or eBooks, which makes things a little bit trickier. That's tough. Tough. It's always tough to know what books another person is going to go back to over and over again. Like, I I don't think you can silver bullet that. And not everyone does it either. So, I mean, not everyone does a lot of rereading. It might not be the kind of Even if they just read it once, that might be as good as you're going to get for them. Yeah, it's kind of great that he opens it and reads it right then on Christmas. It does too. seem like Since noon to 8 p.m. on Christmas should be national reading eight hours. It and then should. we all go to the movies. The uh, One of the happiest moments of my Christmases in the last couple of years was giving my niece, who was six at the time, a bunch of books for Christmas and seeing her open them and like turn into her little corner of the chair mm-hmm. she was sitting in and start reading her books and ignoring everyone else while they kept opening their presents. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best thing. We love the people who read the books right then on Christmas. It's so much better than that dry thank you and then you don't think the book ever uh, was read. So I have some ideas for uh, for book subscriptions here um, that, yeah. that, that you might try. Um, the first is for RJ Julia, which is a bookseller uh, in the 
Northeast. Um, they have a program called Just the Right Book, where you could provide the information to them about the person who's receiving the gift. You can also adjust the preferences at any time. But if you're helping your father do stuff or if you're uh, printing out his emails for him or something like that, then uh, this re it requires internetting, but not regular internetting uh, or frequent. So you could probably handle this. You could choose mm -hmm. from quarterly, bi-monthly, or monthly deliveries. You can select paperbacks, hardcovers, or a mixture. And there's a range of prices. Uh, so for $90, you could get them a new paperback one per quarter, which would be four books a year that are handpicked for their reading preferences, um, up to $395, which is a new hardcover every month um, based on their preferences. So it's sort of, you know, like customized service yeah. based on their uh, preferences from an independent bookseller. Um, our own Liberty Hardy at Book Riot works for River Run Bookstore in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And she has a program called Paperback to the Future, uh, where for $18 a month or uh, $195 for the full year, I think it's uh, $120 if you do six months, um, she'll email back and forth with you um, using her, quote, complex, furtive, and unscientific formula <laughs> to, mm. uh, to pick a paperback book um, for them. So that would require a little bit more emailing, I think. Um, I asked this person in the comments at Book Riot um, if there's email involved. And uh, she said that they do print out her dad's emails and help him respond to them. So that might be doable. That's what my mom is getting uh, for Christmas. And I can say that since she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Maybe also uh, Powell's Indispensable. Yeah, that's more fiction, isn't it? Yeah. Um, once every six weeks, you get a signed first edition of a new book. It's usually fiction in a slip case that's been specially designed just for the indispensable recipients and some sort of thematically appropriate surprise gift that goes along with it. And subscriptions are thirty nine ninety five a month. Mm. There's also uh, Book Passages, which is a bookstore in California, has a signed first editions club, and Greenlight uh, Bookstore in Brooklyn has a first editions club uh, where they have a selection committee that in, uh, factors in stuff like the publisher, the print run, the author's reputation, artistic merit, and how good the book was. And for uh, $250 for six months or $500 for the full year, you get um, signed first editions of books that they've picked as sort of curated selections. All excellent choices. I have one book title, a specific one, if you Ooh, want to go this way. Do it. And this is more fastball again down the middle of like what it sounds like he likes and probably would read this once and really enjoy it and then move on. So Rebecca gave you some gifts that keep on giving. Here's going to be a kind of a one shot. Um, this book came out this year, Mitchell Zukoff's uh, Z-U-C-K-O-F-F, -F, uh, Frozen in Time. And it's about, so uh, in November of 1942, a U.S. plane that was flying a standard cargo route crashed into the Greenland ice cap. And then a few days later, um, a rescue team on a B-17 flew in, and they crashed too, but they all survived. So you've got two planes full of people down, and they have a third rescue mission to go after them. And I'm not going to tell you more about what happens because it's a pretty intriguing tale um, but it's kind of like a cross between, what was that one that was about the soccer players alive? The ones that got cr stuck in the Andes oh, Mountain? yeah, yeah. So alive. it's like that with like a military bent. And then the, 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 the capper is that um, Zukov also went with a team in 2012 on an expedition to the ice cap to look at the wreckage and tried to figure out where the survivors were. or what, who, th There were some people surviving, some people didn't. 
Um, and so he goes back to see the wreckage and try to piece back together what the events of what happened and when. Um, pretty gripping stuff. So World War II, military history, mid-century, um, a good yarn, real life. So, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Good um, pick, Jeff. I think you won that round. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, was, I was cheating because I got the more specific one. Um, <laughs> all right. So the last thing we're going to do is we're going to do some, I call these Swiss Army picks. Um, I came up with this in my old blog, actually, I think, back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and I call them Swiss Army picks because they're the kind of books you can give to a bunch of different readers in a, diff a bunch of different kind of situations. I'll drop a link in the show notes to the post I did for BookRite about this. And I think Rachel did a follow-up with her own Swiss Army pick, so you can browse those as well. But we also, um, each of us picked a few books that you might consider giving to a whole bunch of different people. So why don't you go one, I'll go one, and then back and okay. forth till we're done. Uh, my first one is She Matters, A Life in Friendship by Susanna Sonnenberg. Uh, it's a memoir in which each chapter is the story of a different one of the sort of pivotal friendships of Sonnenberg's life with a different woman in her life. Uh, it's very candid. It's funny. It's touching. Uh, she's really honest about the mistakes that she's made as well. So you see the friendships that fail alongside the friendships that succeed. Uh, the friendships where they fail because it's her fault, the friendships that fail because of a of a hurt that someone else caused, um, and the the different ways that her friendships with other women evolve throughout her lifetime. I think this is like the go to gift uh, for your mom, your sister, your best girlfriend. Um, though, if, if you are a woman, this is the book uh, for the women that you love who have made you the person that you are. Um, those those friendships and relationships with other women that shape your life um, and with the women with whom you can be um, exactly who you are and as you are and very, you know, just sort of honest and, and open. Uh, Sonnenberg lays out her life um, and her pains in, in really beautiful detail. She has a previous memoir called Her Last Death that's about her uh, her very difficult relationship with her mother uh, and what happened when her mother died. Uh, but I, I really loved She Matters. It came out earlier this year, I believe. It's out in paperback mm -hmm. now. Um, it's a it's an excellent go-to gift, and it's, it's a really thoughtful gift, I think. Um, I would be pleased to receive this from a woman in my life. It's, it says you know that you are a person that means a great deal to me, I think. So my pick um, is for if you've got a Star Wars fan in your life um, or you have a science fiction lover um, of any kind or someone who likes comics and graphic novels, probably the graphic novel slash comic title of the year is Saga um, by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, I'd say it's a cross between Star Wars and Romeo and Juliet with more strange in it. That's such a great pitch. <laughs> and there's two volumes. It's an ongoing series. Um, two volumes have been released in trade paper, um, but there's going to be more. But it's a good time to get you on board. It's kind of caught fire in the nerdy circles of which uh, I'm not a, a, a hardcore graphic novel or comic book fan. But when something burbles up, I usually from the you know the the uh, um, the uh, underworld of the the real the true fans i pay attention and pick stuff up and this is one i kept hearing about and i picked it up and i bought it for my brother who loved it and he he uh texted me and said when's the next one coming back and i said june and he's like oh no <laughs> so it's it's great it's compelling it's strange as all get out but it's beautiful and smart and complicated um it's there's a big interterrestrial intergalactic interracial war 
that are, you know, they're not called Romeo and Juliet, but they're Romeo and Juliet, are trying to escape from, in between, and around, and make their way uh, through the world. Um, so that's Saga by Brian K. Vaughan. I'm going to um, second, great. I'll second that emotion. Um, I was always uh, afraid that I wouldn't get graphic novels, yep. like that I just wouldn't be able to parse the whole, like reading the story from the pictures thing. And some uh, mutual friends of ours recommended Saga to me. And I, I loved it as well. Also, there's a, like a hero in it who has a dog that <laughs> says it, every, he can detect lies. And he, yep. so he points it out every time that someone in their presence is lying. <laughs> it is just, it's, it's fully weird, yep. uh, but it's really great uh, in its weirdness. And if you've got somebody who wants to try graphic novels, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to go. It's also not huge no it does, it's not giant it's not it's not really big so maybe yeah. get someone the first volume uh, mm -hmm. and see if they're hooked you can tell them there's at least one more right then they can go out and get before you have to break the bad news um that they're gonna have to wait a while for any <laughs> subsequent volumes uh since we're talking about weird i'll go to my next uh Swiss Army Pick is a double header for people who like weird short stories. I'm thinking people who love Karen Russell. Uh, mm -hmm. My first pick for that is Diving Bells by Lucy Wood, which came out last year. It's a tiny, um, pretty quiet collection of short stories uh, set in the UK uh, in these like everything feels like there's this sort of dreamy atmosphere around it. Uh, one of the stories uh, in the title story, people's women's husbands just disappear like you wake up one morning and your husband is gone and you know that it's because he's been taken by the mermaids um men just get captured by mermaids and taken into the sea and this main character's husband has been gone now for many many years and she finally decides to go look for him because there are companies uh whose sole reason for being is to take women down in diving bells. Uh, the book is bells, B-E-L-L-E-S, like women, but they take these women down in actual diving bells uh, to look for their husbands that have been captured. And so that, that title story, there's one about a, a woman who like once a month or once a quarter, um, she feels her body turning into stone and she feels there's like this compulsion to walk up into the mountains with the other people who also become stone. Um, they're sort of hard to describe, mm. um, but, but weird and fully realized little worlds in each one of these short stories. Also really beautiful. Um, not as dark as Karen Russell. So if some of Karen Russell's newer stuff uh, was too dark, Diving Bells, I think is a great place to go. It was, I think it flew under the radar last year. I would love to see more people read that. And also for wonderful, weird short stories is What the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us by Laura Vandenberg. Um, I talked about her new short story collection, The Isle of Youth, a couple weeks ago. This is her first one. It's from 2009. Um, she was recognized by the Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers program for it. And also just um, sort of quirky, strange short stories all about people who have lost something or who are looking uh, for something in their lives. The, the one that has stuck with me for four years now is about a a woman whose job is to be uh, a Bigfoot impersonator. People hire her or, or hire her company um, and she dresses up like Bigfoot and goes out into the woods and then those people get to go hunting for Bigfoot. And it's about like this woman's real life as a person who does this. And Man, that is weird. It is you weird. You weren't another, That is a weird one. <laughs> there's one about, uh, in the same one, about the scientists that are looking for the Loch Ness Monster, um, a woman who grew up in a weird broken falling down theme park somewhere in middle america um they're sort of dreamlike 
and and strange but not uh off-puttingly so i really really love that short story collection in my in my top five ever uh what the world will look like when all the water leaves us i'm going um i'm going uh comic book again um so if you've got a, a fan in your life who likes superhero movies you know they like the avengers x-men batman um or who like you know the comics um and this is one that it's the most boring Avenger we all know is Hawkeye, right? Um, and <laughs> but so, Jeremy Renner. And so um, this um, comic book writer named Matt Fraction, my, this is what I heard, went to Marvel and said, give me Hawkeye and let me do whatever I want in a series. Hmm. And they're like, fine, no one cares about Hawkeye anyway. <laughs> uh, and he came up with this series that's called Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon. And it is awesome. And it's Hawkeye when he's not a member of the Avengers. And, you know, you never really think about this if you watch the movie or read the comics. Like, of the, of the Avengers, he's the one that doesn't really have a superpower. He's just, like, super good at shooting bows and arrows. So it's him sitting around his apartment in, in um, his apartment building in New York um, practicing because, you know, he, he does, he's not Captain America or the Hulk or something. He's got to keep his skill sharp. Um, and he also doesn't have a lot of money because he doesn't have a job. So he's, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't live in Stark Tower or something like that. Um, and he can't tell people that he's an Avenger because that's a whole bunch of problems. And it's his daily life, really. Um, it's told in really crazy, nonlinear time. So you won't know when one particular issue is happening until much later. Um, there's one issue that's told from the perspective of his dog that is freaking brilliant. Um, I think it's issue number 11. Um, and it's the the long sort of narrative is that the apartment building he lives in, he's trying to buy it because the people who own it who are basically Russian mobsters. He calls the tracksuit mafia, um, and he's ha- trying to deal with them without like breaking out his Avenger skills, right? Like his Hawkeye stuff. So it's a bunch of like him trying to make his life work, uh, you know, in between the intergalactic invasions, um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's beautifully drawn. Uh, it each issue is is a lot different in terms of story and pacing um, than the other ones you can get. I think there's one volume of the of the trades that collect the first six, um, and we're up to issue twelve now in the papers. So you can collect you can get the first volume for somebody or yourself, frankly, um, and check it out. And it's it's really virtuoso comic book storytelling um, that's unlike I have anything I've ever seen. Again, I'm not the most adventurous comic book reader, um, but this is a lot of fun. Um, by Matt Fraction and illustrated by uh, David Aha, AJA. That's Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon. That sounds great. It is great. Uh, my last Swiss Army pick, and this is like truly a Swiss Army pick, is uh, this is the story of a happy marriage by Ann Patchett. Uh, it's uh, Ann Patchett, we, you probably recognize as a novelist. She's uh, been publishing uh, great novels and well-recognized for that for many years. But before that, she was an, a journalist and an essay writer. And so this is collected essays from several decades of her life as a writer. We get uh, Ann Patchett investigating marriage stuff. We get when she meets her husband um, and they get their first dog. There's just sort of like Ann Patchett as a, she's just like us, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, but in the best way, other stuff about uh, becoming sort of accidentally the owner of an Indian bookstore what it was like to be a young author going out on book tour um, and I think these the, I think this is the perfect book to buy uh, for your mother-in-law your aunt your coworker, um, a person that you want to give a good well-written but totally safe book to um, 
which maybe sounds like damning with faint praise, but I don't mean Mm. that. I don't mean that to be a bad thing. I like edge in the books that I read, but not everybody does. Uh, And Anne Patchett, as particularly this is the story of a happy marriage, I think really satisfies that. Everything in this book um, is well done. It's thoughtful. She's funny, charming as all get out. Um, And I think that Anne Patchett as an essayist is more interesting than Anne Patchett as a novelist, um, Mm. honestly. So it's a great new short story collection. It's in a beautiful hardcover, um, right now. That's a, that's what my mother-in-law is probably going to get. Um, you don't have to worry about the content offending anybody. Um, but you also know that you're giving them something that's, that's, that's really great. It's solid. Sounds good. Um, my last Swiss army pick is a twofer that I actually just bought today for my dad for his birthday, who's coming up. So dad is spoiled. I think I mentioned both of these books on an earlier show. Mm -hmm. Um, The first is The Two Hotels Frankfurt's um, by David Levitt, L-E-A-V-I-T-T. And it's set in Lisbon in the summer of 1940, when Lisbon is the last free port in Europe. Um, And it's the story of two couples, Pete and Julia Winters, um, and Edward and Iris Freelang, um, who are trying to get out. And figure out what they're going to do. Um, you know, they don't say it in the blurb, but it's kind of, I would say, it has to be Levitt's like homage to Casablanca. Um, mm. Similar kind of world, um, people coming and going, um, and underworlds and underdealings and hidden identities and problems politically and sexually and um, a journey. And just, it's, I haven't read it yet, I have to say. Um, I've read the first sample. Um, but I'm a big fan of his um, from an earlier book called The Indian Clerk. And I'm a big fan of Casablanca. So this is a no-brainer for me and for my dad. Um, the other book is also a World War II European book called The Paris Architect by Charles Belfort. Um, and the pitch there is it's Paris in the late 30s, so before things got really bad in France. Um, but an architect is approached by a wealthy Jew to who sees the, the wealthy this wealthy guy sees the writing on the wall and commissions the architect to build hiding places into buildings around Paris um, with the idea that Jews will hide in them should the Nazis ever roll through and this is the story of how that happens Charles Belfort is himself an architect um, so there's a lot of interesting technical knowledge um, and specificity and so if you've got someone who loves Paris um, it's a great book to do for that as well. So that's my that's my twofer. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. That's too. a good. I got one for you. This is your surprise. I have one left <gasps> for you. I get a surprise. Jeff. You get you get a surprise wreck. Oh, but I don't have a surprise. No, well, that's what makes it better because I get to hold it over you. <laughs> oh, too. wait, no, wait, no. I do. I have no, a new come year's on, surprise that's not for fair. you. That was too fast. You at least got a squirm for a minute. It's about sitting it. on my desk. Oh, okay. So, so go ahead. mine for you, and I I think I've asked you if you've read this person. Have you read Annie Dillard before? Do you no, know I haven't. Dillard? Okay, well, good Lord. This is awesome then. So The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Dillard is mostly a nonfiction writer, though her last book that she wrote at all was a novel, weirdly. Um, she is a nonfiction writer, and this book um, came out of her own journals, but it's told through the told through the eyes of an unnamed narrator who spends a year at Tinker Creek, which is, knock on it, um, Set apparently outside of the Blue Ridge Mountains in your great state oh, of Virginia. Oh, yes. Um, and it's her thinking about um, life, the universe, faith, art, storytelling. It's in your um, when, women, when, when Women Were Birds wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more um, faithy, I think, 
than When Women Were Birds, a little more um, spiritual than that. Um, but it's a beautiful book. Dillard's a great writer, insanely smart. Um, I think if you took Marilyn Robinson and made her a little more wonky, you get Annie Dillard. Like a little more woo-woo? Yeah, a little more. No, no, a little more, no, a little more like um, cerebral, a little okay. more academic almost. Gotcha. Um, but it's, and it's broken up into four parts, and each part is a season at Tinker Creek. Um, so I think you will dig I'm that sold. if you're I'm interested so in that. I'm so sold. So it's um, mine. Your, yours, um, which if you didn't have your TBR zero policy, yeah, right. would already be in your hands because it's been sitting on my desk for a week, mm. is a January release um, called The Department of Speculation by Jenny mm. Offal. Okay. Um, O-F-F-I-L-L. This is going to ring all of your Lily Tuck, I Married You for oh, Happiness. Oh, no. Are we going to cry again? <laughs> Bells. It's shorter, though. It's oh, okay. like... Shorter than I Married You for Happiness? It is. It's even shorter. The galley that I'm holding is 160 pages oh wow okay i read it in one afternoon a while ago um it is about it's okay first off it's set in brooklyn okay uh it's about it's written from the perspective of a woman who uh is in a is in a marriage that maybe she didn't quite anticipate and the marriage has not gone the way that she anticipated they have a child they have complications um someone has an affair and it becomes a meditation on what it is to have a a long a uh, committed relationship with someone whose life is uh, intertwined with mm, yours. That does sound in, good. In the same way that I married you for happiness. Yeah, for those of you keeping score at home, I married you for happiness by Lily Tuck came out last year, uh, or no, two years ago, two years ago, um, in 2011, and it is a story of a woman who whose husband has just died um, literally that night in their bed. Um, they're at the end of their life, and they've been together a long time. And as she's sort of holding his hand after he's died, she reflects back on their life together and the good and the bad and the complicated. Um, also a really beautiful, beautiful Yeah, really book. beautiful. And I thought a really honest look at, at what a marriage yeah. is and can be or what a, long, uh, what a lifelong relationship yeah. can be, that female character – uh, has some regrets. She made some mistakes. She did some things her husband never knew about, and she wonders if he had the same. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really smart in a way that not a lot of I don't think a lot of fiction nails marriage yeah. or or lifelong committed relationships. Very do. tough. Very tough. It's to it's do. a hard thing, and uh, Lily Tuck did it. Jenny Awful did it. So in January, uh, you will be getting. Is that from FSG? Department. It's Knopf. Knopf. Okay. Department um, of Speculation. And we're running long, but should we do? Well, we're going to do, um, I don't know when we'll record it, but we're going to do our best of 2013 show mm-hmm. um, to to re- to release probably between Christmas and New Year's. Do you want to give your people your favorite book of 2013 as they go into buying? You want to do yours and they would like to know this stuff. What's, your, what's the one you like so much? Fiction is so hard. Either one. So either I'm not going to take I'm the whole gonna, field. Pick the whole. Take, look, I'm not going to re- Okay, Rebecca. all right. I'm not going to reveal my favorite novel of 2013 okay. yet, mainly because I haven't decided. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite work of nonfiction this year, and I, re- I do read a ton of nonfiction, um, is "Smarter Than You Think" by Clive Thompson, which is about how the internet is changing our brains for the better, um, and like what it means to live in a world where we're super connected, where we can talk to people on the other side of the world who are trying to solve the same kinds of problems that we're trying to solve or who want to innovate the same kinds of things that we want to innovate or who want to just help people in a, in a new 
way, a super fascinating, um, and it, it, I mean, it rang all of my bells for obvious reasons of loving the internet and really believing in technology, but he backs it up with science. Nice. I love Yay, science. Clive it's Thompson. the best. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that. What uh, about I'll, you? I'll do my, I've mostly, mostly fiction this year for me as in most years, but um, my favorite so far has been Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, um, which that may bear no relationship to actually how you say your name, but I did it with confidence. So it's Maybe you right. did. There was some swagger in that. I know I was gearing up for it for the last 30 minutes uh, to try to say <laughs> it. Um, but she is a Nigerian um, Adiche who is a Stanford fellow right now. Um, but Americana is a novel set in uh, America, Nigeria, and Britain. It's about global identity and race and immigration um, and culture. Um, and I just thought it was fantastic. I, I've long um, been a student of African American literature, and this seems to me to be the really the signal work of the last ten or twelve years in um, this field that I've been interested in, and it takes it to a global perspective. And the boundaries of even the phrase African American are not really applicable to the book, and maybe at all to anyone ever <laughs> um, is one of the lessons uh, of the book. Um, but no, it's not just social satire commentary there's a great story and a very human story and it's um like our good friend ellison it's a it's a social commentary that's not a screed it's not um it's not um blistering it's not condescending patronizing or really angry it's just accepting of this is the way the world is um right now and representing it with as much honesty and, and grace as possible and i just thought it was really great and um, hasn't been talked. It's been talked about, but not as much as I would hope. Um, and so that's that's my pick. So if if you've got someone out there that's uh, a contemporary literature fan and they're interested in in diverse voices, that's a hell of a pick um, for somebody. So that's a good show. That was a heck of a lot of fun, wasn't it? That, and this is a big show, so thanks for hanging with yeah, us, it's been listeners. Long. We should have Christmas more often so we can do a show like this. <laughs> I, I'm already looking forward to Mother's Day, Father's Day graduates and weddings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then uh, we'll look for our um, our best of 2013, um, both ours and in the year in review. We'll do some stuff like that. If you happen to uh, buy any of these books for someone, let us know and what they say about it. Uh, we you know, are always interested to hear if we moved any units and then if anyone liked it. So... Uh, and thanks again to Random House for yeah, sponsoring so the show for giving an, an excuse to geek out together for an hour and a half about Do books. Do check out randomhouse.tumblr.com. Um, and it's a fun resource, and you'll get a lot of fun uh, ideas for people. And we won't do our normal sign-off podcast at bookriot.com. Let us know. Uh, I'm at Reading Ape. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and I respond there, and you respond at Rebecca Shinsky. I do, and you will be able to find the show notes uh, yes. uh, for this show with the questions and all of the books that we picked and handy little links uh, to click your way to happiness and read them at bookriot.com slash podcast. Thanks so much, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.